Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. All right. So a few months back, I was up here preaching from Matthew. And that text left us with one key takeaway. And that was to heed Jesus's invitation, which was follow me. Jesus had spoken that phrase as he called fishermen and a tax collector and some others into relationships of discipleship. So I argued then that Jesus said the same to us, implicitly by way of example, and also explicitly knowing that the word, the gospel, would spread throughout the world finally speaking to us in our time, same message, follow me. Well, today, we're in a new year, and the order of readings has cycled back to the call of the disciples again, but this time through Mark. And this lesson picks up with a note about what happened to Jesus' cousin, and then it continues with a brief account of the first four men who laid down their lives and went the way of Jesus. So this is Mark chapter 1. After John the baptizer was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Peter casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. As I said, we've worked through a similar text recently, and the point remains. Jesus started with these guys and eventually invited all people to follow him in all his ways according to his radical, impartial love. Now, that might be, let's say, a less personal invitation than you may have been expecting. It's more like a Evite to a contact list of the whole world, but don't be offended by that. It's just that Jesus's mission wasn't oriented toward particular individuals. And in fact, the wider church would probably do well to consider that. So no, the scale of Christ's mission was massive. Jesus began a universal project. Emmanuel came to save the whole world and to invite each person into this communal project. And that's where individuals fit in, as parts of a larger whole, as contributors to something bigger than ourselves, to the benefit of people and generations that we just may never know. 
So why was it necessary for Jesus to show up and extend those invitations? Maybe because by the first century, God-fearing Hebrew people hadn't fulfilled their promise to be a city on a hill and a light to the nations, drawing humanity into shalom, into peaceful unity with the God of Abraham and with each other. But the fault is not on that generation alone. Like We are certainly in no position to place that kind of blame. Doesn't it make more sense that the incarnation of God in Christ was a response to a lengthy period of missed opportunities and too often repeated human failings? I'm inclined to think that Jesus breaking into human history might have been about God just being at his wit's end. Like when parents say, don't make me come down there just before they just Kool-Aid kick your door in. But thankfully, taken down a notch. And a hint about that possibility comes from another reading from today's lectionary. So this is Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. That is not the snippet of Jonah we usually read, is it? That was lovely. Like, well done, Jonah. That sounds exemplary, doesn't it? Jonah followed God's instructions and carried out his mission, and an entire people group was saved. Thanks be to God. What are we missing, though? Well, that would be the journey, right? The process. And that part was rough. We're missing Jonah's moral quandary. We're missing his resistance to caring about the Ninevites. We're missing a dilemma steeped in prejudice and self-righteousness, both before and after this great act of salvation declared by God. So let's chat about that. But let me get this out of the way first. Did Jonah spend time in the belly of a whale, and was he then fit onto the shore where he could carry out his work. Maybe? Let's take a look at this. Did it really happen? Questions are being raised about the real-life Jonah, the guy who claims he was swallowed by a whale. I just was in there struggling, banging. Michael Packard was lobster diving in Cape Cod on Friday when he says the humpback whale sucked him right into his mouth before spitting him out after 30 seconds. He was just going along, and I just happened to be in the wrong place 
at the wrong time. Whale of a tail sounds fishy, goes this headline. You would expect more serious injuries, one Cape Cod doctor was quoted as saying. He had no soft tissue damage and no broken bones. But this 54-year-old scuba diver says he totally believes the story. I believe it uh, fully. It, it is possible. Why? Because Reiner Schimpf had an almost identical experience back two years ago and has the photos to prove it. That's his body sticking out of the mouth of a whale who'd swallowed him off the coast of South Africa when he was filming footage of the sardine run. Without the picture, it's very difficult to prove that you've actually been inside. Whale swallowing humans is exceedingly rare. The odds it will happen are one in a trillion, according to one expert. He wasn't harmed, I wasn't harmed, and uh, it was like a happy end. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, well, that's possible. That's two. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave that there. And then I'll ask, or was the whale a metaphor for a long night of the soul, a dark period of contemplation through which Jonah emerged determined to submit to the Lord and complete his prophetic quest? I don't know. And I don't think it matters. Bottom line, Jonah is not the lead character in the story. Yahweh is. And his mercy remains central regardless of whether or not you swallow the Jonah story. So choose your fighter. Either way, in Jonah, we find an archetype. Not so much of Jesus and the whole three days parallel, but of imperfect humans, believers in particular, of followers of God who are too stingy with the love that God entrusted them to dispense. And the description given to that sort is disobedient. So let's consider that problem. It's an oxymoron, really. You can put it on your list. Disobedient followers. Now, you may have noticed that our reading picked up in chapter 3. Jonah had already had his door kicked in by then. And we caught up with him walking through Nineveh, seemingly on really good behavior. But chapter 1 is another story. And that started like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now the story continues from there, with Jonah hopping on a boat, and the sailors with him realizing that someone had displeased a god, some god putting all of them in grave danger. And Jonah had to admit his failure to faithfully serve as a prophet of his God who had called upon him to deliver a saving message. At that point, he and the sailors agree on a course of action. They pray together, and Jonah is just chucked into this raging sea. In response to that action, the sea was calmed. The sailors were saved, and by the hand of God, Jonah had three more days to consider his disobedience. Now, there's no camera footage to verify that. Just a prayer recorded after the fact, which ended like this. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, 
and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's where our reading picked up. With God having to say a second time, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. And Jonah did. He began the three-day walk across Nineveh, shouting a warning to the people that their wicked ways were leading to their destruction. Now, our reading also left out this next bit, and I want to fill in verses 6 through 9. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Well, we did read then that compassionate conclusion. When God saw that they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The great city of Nineveh was saved. More than 120,000 men, women, children, and all of their animals. Much to Jonah's chagrin. That's the next aspect of the prophet's disobedience that we need to talk about. Jonah had a heart issue. Jonah was angry at God for sparing people that the prophet hated. Jonah didn't rape the Ninevites. He didn't think they deserved God's compassion or protection. Jonah wanted the heavens to rain down fire, not a ceasefire. What was God's response to Jonah's outrage? He asked his prophet, is it right for you to be angry? In other words, what right do you have to conceal my great love for the nations, to withdraw my faultless compassion for all people to deprive any of my creation of my salvation. How dare you? Jonah gave no reply. And then the story wraps up with God giving an object lesson through which it appears Jonah may have remained unrepentant. So in short, Jonah ended up sitting on a hill, wishing destruction on Nineveh, like waiting for the hour, hoping to be witness. And we're told that the weather's crazy hot, and God grew up a plant to offer shade to the prophet. But then God sent a worm to eat the plant, and he caused the sun to beat down relentlessly. And Jonah lost his head about the plant being killed. Without shade, he was hot, and he was uncomfortable again, and he was livid about that. And at that point, God asked his previous question about the new circumstance. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant 
It is, said Jonah. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals? Did Jonah relent from his anger then? Did he embrace and endorse God's action on behalf of Nineveh? Did he carry on as a believer and a mouthpiece of the Most High for the sake of his generation? I don't know. I don't know anything today. The book doesn't tell us. Jonah's last recorded words were, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. That's awful. It's brilliant literature, but from a human perspective, it's a terrible story with an unsettling end. Without an answer from Jonah, readers are forced to ask themselves, how is it possible for a person of God to stand by at some safe distance and permit, even condone, large-scale destruction? How pervasive and deep was Jonah's prejudice against a people group, against those whom God declared worthy, that he first neglected his promise to God and then abandoned godly morality, even despising divine grace? Which brings us back to the gospel. Is it any wonder that God finally came himself in person and said, no, not like that. For God's sakes, follow me. And then he showed believers how to follow in his footsteps, and he invited faithful people to unite in him on that path. And thank God he did. Jonah demanded the right to be angry, and God replied with his right to be merciful. And this begs the question, from which cloth is our generation cut? More personally, with whom are we woven? If we are Christ followers, we are called on to preach the gospel of peace, to make disciples and to baptize. How are we doing with that? Have we set boundaries? Have we declared anyone out of bounds? Are there limits to our love? Do we prefer the destruction of some group to their salvation? I doubt that Jonah expected to be confronted by his opposition to God's plan of salvation. Like Jonah was in the middle of it. He was helping to carry it out but only insofar as he was satisfied that it would end with the demise of his enemy. And the salvation of Nineveh says that God did not permit that kind of hatred and exclusion. Certainly, God in Christ does not permit that. So this is from Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, GP. Nothing less. Not running away from difficult tasks and not harboring animosity in our hearts. If we are Christ followers, we have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit that is made entirely useful for his purpose. And his purpose is to love through us, through us collectively and through each one of us. Where then is your voice needed today to speak peace, hope, and love? To whom must you carry the gospel for the sake of our generation and the next? Who needs to hear that God is their comfort and their ally, not because of their faith or their practices, but because he loved them in advance? Worthy recipients of the same grace that Jonah despised and which was poured out by Christ for every generation. To whom are you called to carry the bucket of grace so that the thirsty might drink from the well of God's compassion? From what hill should you stand crying out against any onslaught against humanity, favoring his perfect peace, shalom of the ancient promise? How importantly... If the answer to any of those questions is Nineveh, or whatever your heart or mind might substitute for Nineveh, will you nevertheless wholeheartedly carry on and obediently follow him? Let's pray that we all will. To that end, I want to close with the prayer that was prescribed for today. And you can join me or not. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And amen. And I'll close with our benediction. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day.